And joining me now, our good friend Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Good morning. I think I went to school with Briny Barrels. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> His name sounds familiar for some reason, but well, that's it's, cool. It's um, it's kind of black to the north here, so we're hoping it uh, goes off somewhere else to be black. Yeah, guy, we've had quite a bit of rain. I don't know about you, but in Marshall, they had some uh, flash flooding this morning, and uh, the rain continues to come. Mm, man, it's. Uh, yeah, I I wish I had some kind of uh, say in the matter, but I sure <laughs> don't. I I do want to thank everybody at Water's Edge in Albert Lee and everybody who gathered at the Chautauqua in Wasika uh, over the the past week. Got to spend a lot of uh, good good time speaking with Ellen Dale Jim and his wife in uh, Wasika. So great people. I also want to uh, bid a farewell to Earl Jacobson and Pat Telfer. Uh, Earl was from Albert Lee, and Pat was from uh, Edina. Although the last couple of years she lived at Friendship in Burnsville. They are Audubon buddies of mine that are held in the highest esteem. I, I remember walking with Earl and Penny over at Spring Valley on a property they owned there and just marveling at the carpeting of flowers, wildflowers, and Pat and Jack Telfer staying at their house in Edina when our Audubon board meetings would go incredibly long, which was pretty much the standard. And I would watch flying squirrels come in to their feeders at night, and they're just uh, both wonderful people. And I know most people listening don't know them, but, boy, it, it sure makes me uh, feel better just saying something nice about them because they were just uh, just the nicest people. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is your buddy, the Burger, and I'm just going to sit up straight and talk about some things that are going on. Uh, the other morning I got out the door at 4, and I'd awaken without an alarm clock. And I bet a lot of you do that. When you're really looking forward to something, boy, you don't have to set that alarm clock, but you set it anyway because you think, oh, if I don't set it, I'll oversleep. I came out, and it was like the foggiest day of the year. And uh, so the morning's fog exceeded the fog in my brain. But there were birds that needed counting, and they were counting on me. I did a breeding bird survey. Uh, this would have been last month. And I've been doing that same route for many years. And it was good being back in the counting saddle after missing the breeding bird survey last year when I was placed on the disabled list. I count birds for three minutes each at 50 regular stops. So it's about 25 or 6 miles that I drive and stop, get out of the car for three minutes. I three got an minutes? Egg timer. I, that's yep. it? That's all you need is three minutes? Are you kidding? No, I got wow. an egg timer, wow. and, I, uh, got a, and I count the bigger share of the birds I count by ear. But I do see a lot of them, too. It was a little tough to see at the first couple stops because I start at 5.02 in the morning. So it's it's not the brightest yet, and then it was so incredibly foggy. It was just, uh, uh, it was, I, I wanted to put on my four-way flashers, but I was afraid it'd um, scare birds away. And where I was uh, situated there, it didn't appear to be anybody driving. I didn't encounter the first vehicle until 5.59. I marked it down in my little uh, notebook. The first vehicle went by me and gave me that look like, what are you doing parked out here on a gravel road at this time of day? <laughs> and at one stop, I watched a fox squirrel. I could see him walking down a farm driveway, 
and he turned left and then walked right up to my car. And he walked up there, and he gave me a baleful look while sitting up on his rear legs, and then apparently satisfied that I was a harmless man who had been fairly warned, the squirrel ambled back up the drive from whence it had come. So it was obviously a wild squirrel that this farmer had. I watched five wild turkeys walk bean rows. Each turkey went down one bean row. And I'd done the same thing when I was a young turkey. Uh, several sandhill cranes flew over, and they've been nesting in that area for some years, but I was just so pleased to see them. They, and the day was filled with newly minted robins. They were just everywhere, young robins. Uh, butterfly weed. Uh, it's a, a plant that is much more a much more vivid orange color than is a monarch butterfly. And that demanded my attention because orange isn't an exceedingly common color in nature this time of year. Uh, Daisy fleabane seemed like about everywhere I got out of the car, there was daisy fleabane or bird's foot trefoil. Daisy fleabane, white flower, bird's foot trefoil, a yellow flower. And daisy fleabane, they have more rays per flower head than I could count. Days earlier, I'd stood transfixed as a red-winged blackbird male flew down from a tree and landed on the back of a Canada goose gander. And the gander was in the company of his missus and a few goslings. Ganders are particularly aggressive when they have goslings. But this gander put his head down and rushed to the water of a pond as the blackbird rode along as if it were in a saddle, pecking and prodding the gander on his way. And the goslings and the missus waddled behind, and once in the water, the gander was freed of his tormentor. I just hope that the goslings one day will be able to look again at their father as if he were all-powerful and wasn't beaten up by a red-winged blackbird. Uh, Bryce Gaudian. Bryce is from Hayward. And he said, Al, this photo, can you identify this beautiful bird for me? I've been pulling Canada thistle out in our organic buffer strip, and this wonderful bird has been singing to me for hours. I looked in a bird book, but can't find any bird exactly like this. Seems like a cross between a meadowlark and a warbler. I know that you will know in a heartbeat. What is it, please? His is a glorious song, sang for hours. Uh, Bryce, when I was a, a young and I called this bird a junior meadowlark. Uh, it was typically our last bird species to migrate in here. And I, too, love its song. It's called a dick sissel, um, dick, C-I-S-S-E-L. And they are everywhere this year. So I hope that foretells something wonderful, being so many of them. Uh, Tim Scott uh, sent me an article from the New York Times, a very interesting, uh, boy, the New York Times just has some incredible science stuff. Um, it's how magnetic sense helps billions of moths on an Australian migration, and researchers say this is the first reliable evidence that insects can use Earth's magnetic field for navigation. Uh, Millie Wesson, also from Hayward, said uh, her purple martin numbers were down from last year, and that was because of that just miserable late snowstorms we got that took away all the flying insects that they used to eat. But she has 65 babies and 28 eggs still to hatch. 
Uh, Brian Bad of New Alm, Janet Johnson of Otisco, and Mark Heineman of Albert Lee all saw the same thing, Cecropia moths. These are just, uh, I love Cecropia moths. They approach six inches of wingspan. The caterpillars, big green guys that eat a lot of leaves, uh, four and a half inches. Nancy Rohrman of Bloor saw white-lined sphinx moths. She said, first I thought they were hummingbirds out there feeding on flowers. Uh, Joan Mooney of Wasika heard a screech owl calling. Jerry and Jill Morstead, who had a mallard duck nesting in a tree in their yard, said five ducklings left the tree this morning and are in our little pond by the house. I guess you need to live in a house over 40 years to see this. Melva Hensbetter said, I thought you would like seeing this beguiling picture. At first glance, I thought they were fuzzy slippers, and they look like fuzzy slippers, uh, young owls. And I'm sure there are fuzzy slippers that look like young owls. She said um, she had mention of a column. Uh, She listens and then also reads my column. She said, I do wonder if the copacetic fellow who always drops by your place is real or your imaginary friend. I had one even at 95. She still appears occasionally. Uh, Melva, yes, that's all I'll say about Crandall, my copacetic fellow. Uh, Audrey Larson of Fairmont uh, sent me a photo of a white red squirrel. And uh, it looks like it has red eyes, so it would be an albino. How does she know it, it's a, a red squirrel if it's a white? What if it was a, a white gray squirrel? <laughs> it because of its size. Oh, okay. It, it's really, really tiny little squirrel, and um, probably its attitude too. They have a definite attitude. They just um, red squirrels think that they rule the world, and who knows? They might. Uh, Jim Shook, who lives up in Haines, Alaska, sent me a lovely photo of uh, Rufus Hummingbird, which is their hummingbird up there, like the ruby throat is ours here. Linda Bourne of Wasika said uh, she has fewer purple martins this year, also because of that nasty storm. Mm. Uh, The good folks at Water's Edge in Albert Lee said uh, they have an eagle nest right on their property, not far from where they all live. And they say, why didn't the eagles eggs hatch this year and i think it was that terrible weather again it just some did real well but if you have oh if they're inexperienced couple maybe they're just they're not sure of what everything how they should do everything and they might have not planned correctly so many things can go wrong maybe uh maybe the father wasn't a, the best hunter that he should have been her best fisher bird and things just go wrong but it, little things can go wrong and they can get by with them but when lo- things go wrong and then they have that terrible weather on top of it it just makes it real hard so I'm I'm guessing weather probably came into play. Uh, John Nelson of Buford said on June 21st saw the first fledgling Baltimore Orioles at the feeders. Hilarious. Major increase in rose-breasted grosbeaks the past couple of days. Youngsters much more independent than Orioles. Eastern Bluebird has six eggs in her house, latest first latest that they have first nested here. And six eggs, also a record. Carol Lang of Albert Lee. Oh, I, I know Carol for a long time, and but I feel sorry for her, for, and you understand this, Karen. She said, 
she sent me a photo of an insect and said, what is this? You know, it's a pretty insect. And I told her, I said, Carol, I know what it is, but I really hate to tell you oh, what no. it is. It's a Japanese beetle. Oh, where and is this at? In Albert Lee. Oh, that's too close. <laughs> and it's an unwelcome guest for a gardener. And yeah. if folks, if you see them, they're really pretty, kind they of are. a metallic. But if you look towards their abdomen, you'll see five little white spots. They're little hairs. There'll be five white spots on each side of the body. And if you see that on a beetle, it's um, that's what's going on. And people that have roses tell me that they just love to eat roses. And hardy hibiscus. Oh man, yeah. yeah. That's that's what we need is another pest getting everywhere, <laughs> and, and a lot of folks have dealt with them for quite a few years, but uh, we seem to be just kind of getting them in some areas here anyway. I was just talking to my a friend of mine last night. We were talking about earwigs, and I didn't notice earwigs until the last couple years, probably. And she said she's been noticing them for about six years. She's up in Skyline in Mankato, but earwigs are just thicker thicker than the hair on a dog too and they mm-hmm. love to chew up your plants and make them just look terrible along with the japanese beetles so are we getting more insects or just certain kinds or is it the weather or what's going on yeah i think it's probably the weather and uh insect populations are certainly cyclical and uh. so i think maybe we're getting more of certain kinds this year and then you know of all the studies where people have been saying there's not many insects on their windshield and studies <laughs> in germany saying insect numbers have have crashed in some areas so it's some insects aren't doing so hot and other ones seem to be doing well and a friend was telling me that the earwigs seem to like her hostas but what they do like a hosta oh everything yeah. likes hostas slugs so it, love hostas earwigs love yeah. I, and i've been battling them i try and do it the natural way but sometimes i get fed up and and try to blast them with something else. And deer would live on hostas, I think, if they would, if we'd let them. They just think they're the best thing to eat. So, I everything eats them. You always think maybe I ought to try a salad of hostas or something. But I'm not sure that uh, they're <laughs> even good for us. There might be uh, bad things happen to us. Uh, Tom Wensler of Albert Lee saw a sandhill crane. Uh, Pat Sorensen of Albert Lee called me yesterday, and she was quite concerned about an injured mallard drake in her yard and said he was so pretty. And and I told her, boy, you know, it's up in Roseville at the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. That's the place that takes care of them. I wish we had somebody closer. And uh, Martha Kofsted of rural New Richland, uh, sent a photo of cowbird eggs that she found in a chipping sparrow nest. The cowbird eggs, the chipping sparrow nests are beautiful blue, like robin eggs almost, only they're much smaller. And the cowbird eggs uh, just are huge next to them. And the cowbird eggs will typically hatch a little bit earlier, and then they'll be much bigger than the baby chipping sparrows. And I saw one last year little chipping sparrow feeding this gigantic uh, cowbird baby. And the chipping sparrow, you know, to them, that's their baby, so they're going to take care of it. I'm really late reporting this, guys and gals, and I I apologize, but we're going to get it in anyway. The Miniopa bird count, which was June 6th, I was unable to make it this year because of uh, grandchildren duties. Got to go watch that stuff. But they uh, do a bird count in Miniopa in the park, and as Tim Poulos, Christine, 
uh, Linda Engstrom, John France, Artie Zender, John Zender, Mary Zender, Tom Dolan, and Merrill and Karen Freidendahl. And they had 70 species that they counted on June 6th. The number one species in uh, total birds was the American goldfinch. Number two was the gray catbird. Number three was the American robin. And rounding out the top four was the yellow warbler. So I appreciate all those good folks getting out there and seeing all those all those wonderful uh, birds that are in there. I don't know if they had anything really... Um, incredibly out of ordinary that they found in there, but uh, every, well, every bird is just incredible and out of the ordinary, I guess, when you compare them to us. But they had some birds that people just love to see, like the scarlet tanager and the blue grosbeak. Uh, those are great sparrow, and uh, some sparrows, lark sparrow is one of my favorites. Had one of those, so incredibly beautiful birds and a wood thrush which is one of the greatest singers some whenever i hear a wood thrush i think it's the greatest singer ever and then sometimes i'll hear another bird and say no that's the greatest singer so i do go back and forth uh tom belshan of glenville asked what the caterpillar of the cecropia moth eats and again the the cecropia moth uh when i was a boy they called them robin moths like mm-hmm. robin the bird is North America's largest native moth, and it has a wingspan, again, approaching six inches. Uh, Somebody told me one year they had one that was nearly seven inches. I've not seen one that big, but they look bigger than that. And the caterpillar, I measured one one year, was four and a half inches long. And the caterpillar feeds on the leaves of hardwood trees, so birch, box elder, cherry, elm, hawthorn, linden, maple, oak, poplar, and willow. I wrote those down in alphabetical order just to make my elementary teachers proud of me. <laughs> uh, Cecropia moths, adults, do not eat. And, um, boy, a good number of people have reported seeing these lovely moths this year. They don't eat? Uh, they don't eat. What do you mean they don't eat? They're born, uh, how do they get to, to grow then? <laughs> they eat when they're caterpillars. Oh. And when they hatch out as a moth, they are done eating. And they have other things on their mind then that they want to produce more cecropia well, moths. How so. long do they last then without eating? You know, I don't think they're very long-lived. Oh. And uh, they will, uh, oh, yeah, Janet Johnson sent me the one from Otisco was on a tree. There was one in a bank building in Albert Lee, my son in New Ulm, uh, by uh, Vogel Arena. There's one on the side of the arena, and they just stay there. And I'm sure at night they're out moving around, but during the day they're just plastered to this wall. And it just makes, you know, it makes us all true artists if we have a cell phone because we can take these beautiful pictures. Well, Al, if you and I did eat, we'd probably just sit plastered next to a wall and not move either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I think they, well, they are. I uh, just, I can't. Boy, if you, folks, if you get a chance, you know, look up in a book or look up online, Cecropia moths, and they are just uh, everything about them is beautiful. It's they're, it's impossible to describe their beauty. I, I find that about everything and everybody. 
Well, Al, before uh, you go on, I wanted to talk about sure. what I saw. We were up north near Deer River, which is kind of up by Grand oh, sure, Rapids, right. for the yeah. week um, vacationing. And I saw so many loons on the cut foot Sioux, uh, lower oh. cut foot Sioux, which is uh, just off of Lake Winnebagoshish. And so beautiful. And we got very close and I got some amazing pictures of the loons. And it was just really neat. We also saw uh, an, a bunch of eagles, including an eagle that took a duck, which is really sad to see. Um and uh well just lots of other fish and i caught fish including northern i got some perch i got walleye and uh, rock bass and you know i didn't have to touch the bait or the fish all i had to do is pull them in that's the way i like it <laughs> i i don't i just don't that's wrong i think that's just <laughs> not fair I just yeah that's it my mom loved the fish except uh boy in the spring of the year when the waters were still cold my dad loved to eat catfish and bullheads oh so we'd head up to morristown and fish for bullheads and my mom loved to clean fish and cook fish but she would have nothing to do with bullheads uh, she oh. would eat them but she said you know boys this is your job so you catch them and you clean them. Is that because and, uh, they have pokers or or something about I them? I think so. Yeah. Yep. She just uh, she she would catch them, but that was as far as it went. She didn't do anything beyond that. So, and Dad liked them so much, he was happy to do <laughs> anything to to get them just woofed out sooner or later. The other thing we saw was a beaver too. Uh, got real up close and personal to a beaver, which I don't normally see just in general around town. So that was kind of cool. And what they do, I guess, when they kind of get scared, they they slap their tail before they dunk under the water fast. Is that a warning or what is that all about? It, it's definitely a warning, and this is coming from a fella who's been chased by a beaver. What? Uh, I w- yeah, I was in a <laughs> canoe, and oh I thought I'd get up close and get a nice photo, and it uh, spanked its tail a couple of times, and then finally it said, that's it, and uh, it took after me. And they're big animals. Yeah, they, so. they are. And um, there was two of us in the canoe, and we looked at one another and made a quick executive decision to hightail it out of there Uh just as quick as we possibly could. So we're going down. There were three canoes in our party, so the other people are taking pictures of us being chased by this beaver. Could it hurt you? I mean, can beaver... No, no. Oh. No, but it was a proud moment. It's something we can look back on in our lives and say, remember the day (laughs) the beaver chased us down the Missouri River? Yeah, that was a good day. But he, you know, he was just having a bad day. I'm sure the beaver, and they have those big teeth. And, you know, we could have stayed there and slugged it out with him. He'd probably chewed up our canoe paddles. Mm. But we just thought, you know, sometimes it's just better to flee and let uh, everything get on with their life. And, boy, Deer River, I have worked up at Deer River a number of times. I've gone to Grand Rapids and gone to Judy Garland's house. And I bought a a brick from the Yellow Brick Road there one year to throw at students. So it was it was a foam brick, but it it looked like when it was coming at their heads. I think as a real brick, and I'd only do that when they fell asleep in class. So it worked (laughs) pretty well. I was on the Pelican Breeze on Elberly Lake, and a boy, uh, I don't know how old he is. I'm so bad at ages. Maybe ten, around in there, I would think. And he said, is there a bird named after Minnesota? Uh, Because he said it should be the Minnesota loon, not the common loon. Uh Yeah, I said, well, you know, it's other places. And he said, well, is there a bird named after Minnesota? I said, you know, there isn't. But 
I think there should be something like a Minnesota minnow heron or a Minnesota <laughs> timber hawk or the Minnesota casino crow, maybe. Uh, there are a number of birds that carry a state as their first name. It, California has the most. Boy, uh, condor, uh, gnat catcher, gull, quail, scrub jay, thrasher, towhee. There's a Connecticut warbler, the Florida scrub jay, the Kentucky warbler, the Louisiana water thrush, uh, Mississippi kite, Tennessee warbler, and Virginia rail. And there are two birds with Carolina as a first name, chickadees and wren. Uh, there is a Virginia's warbler, but it carries, that's a woman's name, rather. She's the one that discovered it, so it's not a state name. But we do not have uh, a Minnesota uh, bird in it. it uh, More's a pity. We just should have one. You know how when they have apple varieties they develop at the U of M, they ask people to contribute, and so they, don't they get, don't they have one called Mini Snoda or something? I don't know. They seem like they have fruits named after Minnesota. It sure went down me. Boy, I doubt it. But they've sure done well in the apple business. My goodness, you know, I just, I am addicted to Honeycrisp apples uh, for any number of reasons. Everybody has different taste buds. And mine crave Honeycrisp apples. I just think they're the best thing, and I, I, I dream of them every so often, Honeycrisp apples. So I, I love apples, but, boy, Honeycrisp has kind of spoiled me, sadly, for and you some know, other apples. I, I read there's a new variety that they've de- developed from the Honeycrisp that's a little small, you know, because Honeycrisp can be pretty big, and then it's just as sweet. So I, I look forward to trying that. I can't remember the name, but... Uh, Anything related to Honeycrisp has got to be good. I stop, when I'm traveling, I'll stop in a grocery store and buy a couple of apples. And I said, boy, my parents would be spinning in their grave when they see the price yeah. of my cash register slip for two apples. They would say, you what? Yeah. Not that much? Hey, uh, John weighed in with a uh, question for you, This John sure. Newell, my friend. He says, how do you get a cow to be quiet? How do you get a cow to be quiet? I don't know, John. How do you get a cow to be quiet? You press the moot button. Oh, the moot <laughs> button. Ouch. And, and he, also, g- <laughs> he also commented that he started hearing some cicadas yesterday. You know, I've, I've been listening out here on the Ponderosa, but I've, I've not heard any. But I've heard from a couple folks that said they're hearing them. And typically, I hear them in June. Oh, and, uh, so they're slow. The, yeah, towards the end of June. And, John, I haven't heard any yet at all, so I'm glad somebody's hearing some of them because it's the time when they should start calling. I hope, uh, every, thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you all come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders. Where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I talked to a fella who was excited about his odometer. Yeah, that's right, his odometer. And that's not unusual. I remember when putting 100,000 miles on a car was reason for jubilation. Now it means the car is practically broken in. A friend told me he'd bought a brand new car. It had only 150,000 miles on it, he said. In my formative years, I was told that a rich man buys a poor car and then trades it off after a year. 
a poor man buys a good car and drives it forever. Well, back to the odometer. The man was thrilled about his car hitting 123,456.78 miles. He heard somebody on public radio that was doing the same thing, so he ran out and checked his odometer, and his was getting close. It's 1234567.8 miles. Sometimes it's odd when things come out even, but I understood his enthusiasm. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. And if I told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Thank you so very much for listening. And, well, thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen <laughs> to me. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Uh, I enjoyed your company. Thank you, Karen, as always. I'm glad you had a wonderful vacation and didn't have to touch bait or fish. <laughs> and we're happy to have you back. Thanks, Al. Always great to chat with you. We'll be back again with you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.